We know the world of work has changed dramatically and while things have thankfully calmed down a little bit, we're by no means done on this journey. David Collings is a Professor of Human Resource Management at DCU and he joins me now. Um, David, I suppose we've all had a bit of growing pains for want of a better expression in the world of work over the last two years. But can you just talk me through some of the challenges that HR leaders have faced and will continue to face as we, I suppose, get to grips and get to figuring out what the future of work is going to look like? Sure. Yeah, Jess, absolutely. A pleasure to be here. And yeah, there's no doubt the last two years have been transformative for work uh, in in every organisation. You know, there's been changes to how people work, where people work, why people work. I I guess the most obvious manifestation of that is hybrid work and and that tends to get most of the attention and clearly, you know, for 40% of us or so that are lucky enough to be able to work virtually, that has fundamentally changed how we do the work. But the majority of people still go to the workplace or need to go to the workplace on a daily basis and for them uh, life, life has continued in a workplace, albeit in different ways. So in terms of hybrid work, you know, that's changed how we work. It's changed uh, for leaders. It's different requirements in terms of how do we manage those workers that are not co-located with us. Um, It's created challenges for HR around culture, uh, around how do we kind of maintain culture? How do we build culture in that virtual environment? How do we manage performance in that virtual environment? How do we manage collaboration? So fundamentally changed how we think about really important questions about how work happens. Um, For those of us that are are still in the workplace, uh, equally there's been challenges Obviously, our, our health was a real concern at, mm-hmm. the, at the start of the pandemic. So that, that physical well-being. But, but I think that well-being question is one of the positives of, of the pandemic. And we've seen a greater focus on, on well-being. Um, and I think that I hope that's something that we can continue to see. So, you know, if you look at something like the Irish Life Health of the Nation survey, that showed that overall health maintained a kind of consistent level pre-pandemic to during the pandemic. But what we saw was things like relational health and well-being, there were significant impacts there. So people suffered from the lack of personal relationships when they weren't in the workplace. Um, They suffered from a a, a decrease in work-life balance. So there wasn't that fixed start and end of the day. And how do we manage that as individuals was Mm -hmm. a big challenge. So so that was a big bucket of change. And then obviously we saw massive sectors digitised to a degree that we could never have imagined pre-pandemic. So, you know, by some estimates, retail in two months grew as much as it had online retail grew in two months as much as it had in the previous decade. You know, look at the shift of healthcare delivery and how healthcare was delivered, virtual appointments of doctors, you know, banking, you know, all of those sectors and many more shifted fundamentally. So with this shift in terms of how we delivered many services and products, what really changed the skill sets required of workers. So all of this change was happening, um, you know, in a very condensed period of time, challenging HR leaders to understand, well, how do we manage in these different ways? How do we upskill and reskill our employees? How do we manage culture? How do we manage well-being? What I find fascinating is how, just within my circle of friends and colleagues, opinions vary massively in terms of where we are in terms of the world of work. There's some people who've texted me going, I'm so lucky I get to work from home every day. Amazing. And when I think about working from home, it kind of makes me itch a little bit. I'm just, I don't think I'm suited to it. And while it's great that we're all individual and we all have different takes, that's a big challenge. How do you cater to those? Is it possible to cater to those? And how do you manage that situation? Sure, I think it's a really interesting question. I I think you're so right. I think the assumption is 
working from home is better for mm. most of us. Certainly the narrative, right, that's out there in the media, like you read about working from home, it's this great thing that makes life better for us all. And for some of us it is, right? If you have a nice home situation with plenty of space uh, and, you know, your personality type, so if you're introverted, for example, you might be much more ha- happy working at home than an extrovert who really gets energy from being around people, for example. Um, you know, there's so many kind of personal and situational things but from an organisational point of view there's a lot of different work right and what the research is very much evolving here and nobody knows all the answers in terms of what works best to me I think what's been lost a little bit in the discussion is, you know, from an organisational perspective, there's also drivers of having people together. And I think the debate has very much focused on two days in the office or three days yeah. in the office, rather than why should we be together, right? And in mm-hmm. workplaces, that varies, right? So so we know people collaborate better on, on average when they're together, right? So Microsoft said them, did some very interesting research over the pandemic that showed when it came to networks, the people that we're close to, we double down on those networks when we're virtual or, or we're not cold but our distant networks and that's often where innovation happens because they have different ideas and different um, views of the world we we really they grew more distant yeah. when we were virtual so managing that balance between you know how do we give people some autonomy yet have a workplace where we bring people together to work on collaborative tasks um, you know equally you know there are lots of reasons people would like to come to the workplace so, so I think Few organisations would say you cannot come to the workplace. Um, but I think certainly, I think the, the conversation needs to be more balanced in terms of, you know, why should we be in the workplace? What do we do better together? And how do we design a workplace that facilitates that collaboration when we're together? But to the point of we don't have all the answers, mm. I think it's for most organisations, it's a bit early to be going out with certainty. This is our strategy yeah. for, um, you know, remote working. It'll be two days a week, three days a week. I'm certainly the organisations I'm working with, I would always advise, you know, think about it as as a trial. We're going to try this out. We're going to see what works well. We're going to adapt. We're going to evolve and we're going to find what works best for our employees and what works best for us as an organisation. Yeah, it's really interesting. If you look at what some of the big tech firms did, for example, at the start of the pandemic, they were like, you'll never be in office again. Yeah. And then they realise, hang on a second, that doesn't work. And now they're trying to bring people back. Another area that fascinates me, though, is in relation to retention and recruitment. Mm -hmm. So I have said this many, many times. When I started working here in Eastock as an intern, I was 19 years old, didn't even know how to make coffee because I wasn't a coffee drinker back then. And I learned so much by watching people do things, literally down to making a cup of coffee right through to producing a programme. If you're a a new recruit for a company, you're not going to get that same immersion. How do we ensure that those people aren't left behind? Because we're not just talking about someone my age who decides to leave one company and work for another company. We're talking about kids coming out of college. It's a big issue. For sure, absolutely. And we did some research actually on virtual internships during the pandemic mm-hmm. and that was really interesting. And we saw a lot of organisations were very uh, weary to, to shift their internships virtually initially because they were afraid they couldn't f- provide the experience that they traditionally had to these interns and it might somehow devalue the brand of the organisation. But those organisations that went ahead with it were, were actually ultimately very satisfied with it, but they had to do things differently, right? The first thing is they had to be more deliberate. So that learning by by osmosis that you speak about obviously doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. So I need to set up 
those uh, relationships. So with my immediate work team, connections with my immediate work team to know how to do my job, but connections with others in the organisation to get a sense of culture and how things are done about there. I need to be much more deliberate in terms of planning and allocating work so somebody knows what to do in those early days. It can't just happen organically like it did in the past. So, so a lot of it is about more stronger planning. I would say in the context of our earlier discussion about you know how many days somebody should be in the mm-hmm. workplace, I would say new recruits should be in the office more than established people as, as a rule, right? So they can have that opportunity to find their way and get to know the business. So so I think being more deliberate, planning ahead, um, being calling out the cultural aspects of work because that's often the bit that, that people struggle with. So mm-hmm. calling out examples when people do things, behaviours that are aligned with our values and the like is a big part of it. So so it really is planning ahead, being more deliberate. And I think spending more time in the office in those early days is a really good way for those folks to get a sense of, of how things are done around, around here. And what about retention? Because a lot of people, it was great, a lot of people sort of sat up and woke up during the pandemic and thought, I'm miserable doing this every day. It doesn't matter if I'm at home or in the office or in Morocco, I'm miserable doing this type of work. What can people do to try and keep good people happy? Yeah. So the assumption here is it's about pay, right? Mm-hmm. And certainly there is pressure on pay at the moment with inflation and all of that. So I think there's no doubt. But for most people, it's not just about pay. Pay is a small part of the story. There are some things that haven't changed. We, we want to be challenged. Uh, we want to do work where we have the opportunity to, to master that work and develop. We want to have good relationships with colleagues. Those kind of things haven't changed. I think what the pandemic did change is it changed our focus on our work-life balance, for example. And again, we mentioned some of the data from, from the Irish Life Health and Nation survey. They found that the biggest thing people wanted from the workplace was work-life balance. Yeah. Second was pay, right? Uh, so, so I think we have this recognition of the importance of work-life balance and that's partly about workload, right? It's partly about management, work, managing workload, but it's partly about in this hybrid environment, our day doesn't start and end, right? And again, we saw some data from Microsoft that talked about the three peaks in the workday. So we start work in the morning, we get busy, we have our lunch whatever break we take it picks up in the afternoon but for a lot of us we come back to our emails in the evening or we come back to aspects of work so our day has extended and and that's a challenge right because our downtime is smaller Um, so so work-life balance those natural bookends to the day at the start and the end of the day are gone so that's a big challenge I think the other thing people want and I think this is one of the reasons people are re-evaluating their career choices is they want to do meaningful work Yes, and purpose is much more important to people and I think COVID gave us a chance to reflect on you know why am I on this treadmill uh, and and doing you know 60 hours a week on this and I see no impact on the customer or the client or the patient or whatever it is so so I think purpose and well-being are, are the two things that have kind of risen on the on the chart of, of priorities but that other stuff around meaning uh, around uh, you know um, challenge uh, uh, mastery um, you know those kind of things are mm. still there career development those things haven't changed what has become more indexed I think is purpose and well-being Finally and briefly I, w- I want to talk to you a little bit about technology right this is a tech show believe it or not <laughs> Um People who were allergic to technology overnight had to become proficient with Zoom, Teams, whatever platforms being used. I think there's been a more uh, highlighted emphasis on the soft skills and the humanity in the workplace and the importance of the humanity. Do you believe that those softer skills of being able to look someone in the eye and, you know, communicate authoritatively are going to continue to be important in whatever the future of work looks like? 100% 100% yes, yeah, absolutely. I, I think what we're seeing is we're seeing most jobs 
now requires some knowledge of technology mm-hmm. at some level, right? So those of us that did work that wasn't particularly technological in the past are going to need some technological capability. But I think it's also important that those of us that have very technical jobs have those softer skills. So we talk about T-shaped graduates. I've depth in an area, but I also have that breadth. And for those of us in tech spaces, that breadth is some of those soft, softer skills. And, you know, we were chatting before we went on air about people who get promoted into leadership roles mm-hmm. because they're good at their job technically. The skills that make me good tech technically, are often almost the opposite of the skills that need make me a good people leader. So as our, in organizations, we need to be, you know, promoting people based on behaviors that are aligned with the values of our organization, motivation to be leaders, um, and, and helping them on that journey to become leaders, providing them with the skills. Because the skills in the office of being a leader are different to the skills in the virtual environment. So it's mm-hmm. even more complex now. So I think we really need to not assume that because somebody's technically competent, that they're going to be a good leader because that sets the tone for the organization. And we talk about all these lovely things about well-being and diversity and inclusion. My experience of working in organizations, my line manager, and if they have terrible people skills, my experience of working in an organisation is going to be very good from the outset. Yeah, I find this entire space fascinating. And the good news is, if you do too, you can hear more from David Collings because Irish Life is the proud sponsor of the IBEC HR Leadership Summit, which is taking place at Croke Park on October 20th. And David is one of the speakers. Uh, David Collings, thank you so much for joining us here on News Talk.